Emily Sander is a business coach, but much more than that. She an incredible track record. Uh, she's up there in the in the northwest in the Seattle area. Um, she does business, like I said, business coaching. We talk about the disc profiles, just the difference between leadership and management. It's always a fascinating discussion for me. Just there's there's good leaders, there's good managers. Seldom are they both. I feel, uh, but some managers feel they're leaders. Some leaders feel they're managers. How to uh, motivate your team. Uh, just in the business setting, she wrote a great book uh, that, I, that I'm highly going to recommend. By the way, we uh, it's called Hacking Executive Leadership. We talk about what Swizzle is, Failure Loop, Three Circles. Um, fascinating discussion with Emily. Really smart, great business acumen. The other issue of just how to motivate and how to how to uh, incentivize sales and onboarding so they're not clashing. We mentioned the Theranos case, uh, you know, the power of exaggeration, etc. But it was a great discussion with Emily. I really enjoyed it. I know you will too. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Joey Pins. People ask me, how did I lose 130 pounds? The quick answer is always discipline. I started my business, wasn't paying attention to my health, was eating too much, you know, drinking too much sweets. My daughter was born. Next thing I know, I'm pre-diabetic, hypertension. I knew something had to change. Discipline. I, like many of you, have faced many challenges in your career, in your family, in your life, in your faith. How did you attack them? How did you approach them? How did you solve them, hopefully? It all had to have some degree of discipline. I'm also asked, how did you found and start a tech business that lasted over 25 years? Discipline. I was committed to it, enjoyed technology, didn't enjoy some aspects of it, but knew it was necessary. Discipline. Our podcast mission, how do we use discipline to better ourselves and society? Join me, please, as I talk to interesting people and discuss how they use discipline in their family and their passion and their careers and how it helped them. Our podcast vision, growth through learning from others. Joey Pins Discipline Conversations. It'll be light and serious. Join us, please. Thank you for consideration. I really enjoyed learning about you and uh, you've got a fascinating, fascinating uh, history and, and <laughs> Um, let's start with this. What's the difference between leadership and management? Ooh, um, managing is, is telling someone what to do and what not to do. Leadership is calling the best out of them and seeing someone's potential when they might not see it themselves. So you have Mm. vision for what something could be or what someone could be. That to me is, is a true leader. Because oftentimes I see managers who think that they're leaders. Oh, sure. I mean, plenty of people get the title, get the kind of ego and swagger, and they just think that I manage a certain number of people. The number of people I manage, the better. And I just get to tell people what to do all day. And so they're a manager, they're a boss. But a true leader is someone who wakes up each day and says, how can I serve my team? How can I make them better? How can I make my team better? How can I help the clients or the community that that we're trying to serve better? Yeah. 
Excellent, excellent answer. I, uh, t- to me, yeah, a manager is more like, uh, perhaps like a, maybe like a president who is involved with, a, or maybe a COO is interested in the day to day, you know, the operations, whereas the CEO is more the visionary, the future direction of the organization. I guess that's kind of on a larger scale. But uh, would you agree with that? Yeah, I think, you know, there's, Certain people have certain skill sets, right, mm. or certain inclinations. So some people just have vision. They can see a space in the market that needs to be filled, like um, an Uber or a K-cup machine, <laughs> which I'm in favor mm. of. So they see mm. something that just isn't there already. And then there's people who have skill sets and inclination towards making that vision and dream a reality on the ground. And so that they're the tactical and practical people who execute that both. You need both. So, uh, Mm. I'm, I'm probably the latter. And so I love pairing up and working with people who have that vision and and who are a bit pie in the sky and who can be infuriatingly. So, because they don't think about how we're going to do that or, Mm. you know, where is that based in reality? They just go, this, this should be a thing. I think this can fly. And then they go, Emily, and you make it happen. They just dump it, uh, dump it at, at your desk, which is, which is great because I can project plan and I can make that, uh, make that happen all day long. Do you think it's possible for somebody to be effective at both the same person? Oh, sure. Yeah. I think there's extremes. So you have people who are just like, don't show me a spreadsheet. Don't make me think past you know, my dream and vision. Mm. Um, and some people are kind of in the middle or towards the middle of that spectrum. And so they can actually go back and forth and, and do both. Um, but sometimes you get kind of one, one or the other, which again, neither one is good or bad. Mm. It's just a different skill set. You should recognize your strengths and wh- recognize team members who would come in and complement your skill set and complement your team. Yeah. And I, I see that you're a big disc advocate, you know, and, um, you know, I haven't done it for a while, but when I did, I was, uh, I, I don't know if the audience is going to realize, but what disc is, but I was 87 D and, you know, 73 C. So can, can, can somebody who, can everybody be trained to be a leader or is it, can you learn those skills? That is a great question. It's a question that's been asked many times uh, over the years. I think you can train a lot of it. I think you can train a lot of it in terms of communication and um, how to present ideas and how to get people to do certain things. Um, And I do think there's that upper echelon of leaders. You know, I'm talking, you know, Abraham Lincoln or Martin Luther King or like those types of leaders who just are, are born with something Mm. innate in them that can't be taught. Um, I see athletes who, you know, can you train someone to be a good football player or a good basketball player? Of course. You can take your average person off the street and make them better. And if they put in a decade or two of practice, you can make them a lot better. But are they going to be Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant? Something is is innate um, in, in, the, in that top echelon of folks. And if they're we mentioned disc again, which is kind of like Myers Briggs. It's just a way of, uh, I guess you call it a personality score. Uh, I mean, if if their disc or one of those profiles doesn't lead itself to leadership, 
doesn't have some of the qualities that your leadership should have, can can it can they be trained to be a better leader? What if they don't have it? What if they're not born with a lot of that stuff? I think you can still be a great leader. Mm. I mean, I don't want to discourage anyone with like, okay, I'm not genetically gifted or born mm. to be a leader. That's not the point at all. I think it's it's the opposite. I would encourage people that yes, you can be a leader. Um, I work with multiple clients, my coaching clients who are transitioning from that individual contributor role. Hey, I'm a top performer on a team. And because I've done well, I'm being promoted into management. And those two things mm. are entirely different skill sets. Um, and I would never say like, hey, you were born just to be an IC. Like that's all, that's all you have in you. No, 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 no. You have untapped potential within you. And you're going to have to work on a new skill set. So you're going to have to cultivate that and practice and learn about it um, and fail and start again uh, in, that, in that new space. But I would say most people undercut themselves. Most people put a cap on themselves where there, where there is none. And hmm. I, I just, just really quick story, it made me think of, the, of a soccer coach I used to have. And he used to make us run suicide. So basically, you know, to the one side of the field, Very to the other familiar. 17 times. Yeah, ladders. And he said, when you are uh, like about to pass out, you know, bent over, you know, hands on knees and you're, you're struggling for breath, you're at about 40%. You're at about 40% of your capacity. And of course, at the beginning, I was like, this is total BS right. and yeah. this is garbage. <laughs> but over the months and months of conditioning, he was right. And hmm. if you push it and you put mind over matter, um, especially in a big game, you're at about 40%. You can dial into, you know, different levels that you didn't know you have. Um, when, when things are on the line, you can kind of take it into overdrive or take it into that fifth gear. So I would apply the same principle to leadership. If you're hmm. sitting there going, Emily, Joe, like I haven't done this before. I don't know the first thing about it. Guess what? The best leaders you see now started there at some point. Right. They were at a point where they didn't know anything. They hadn't recruited someone. They hadn't hired someone. They hadn't promoted or fired someone. They hadn't tried to cultivate and call out the leadership skills in someone. And they were just like you. And so I would really encourage folks to say, you, you almost certainly, if you're listening to this, you almost certainly have a higher potential than you think you do today. Very well said, Emily. So why do a DISC? Why do a personality profile? Sure. One of the biggest um, mistakes people make is assuming that everyone is like them, mm. that everyone operates in the world like them, that everyone is going after the same things, is scared of the same things, likes to be communicated in the mm. same way. Motivated. And if, exactly. Motivated. If you think about it, there's what, 8 billion people on the planet. It's rather illogical, but yet we're very self-centered and mm. you know it's all about me. So everyone, of course, everyone um, is like me. And I remember as a kid, as a teenager, everyone is driven by what I'm driven by right, right. now in my life. Right. Everyone has the same set of circumstances, experience, background that I do. And of course, that's not true. So DISC, uh, as you mentioned, it has four main styles in it. So it's like Myers-Briggs, but it has four styles, which I think is, is more simple. And you can learn to communicate and learn to operate and work with someone 
in another style better when you know, hey, where am I coming from? What lens am I looking through? How am I operating in the world? And how is this other person operating in the world? And again, it's not a value judgment or one is better than the other. Mm. There's no better style than the other. It's just like, how do I tap into that person's strengths the best? How do I get the most out of them or get the most out of our relationship, interactions, collaboration? Yeah, very, very, very good definition. And it's not meant to kind of pigeonhole people either, whereas that you belong in this area, you know, this is what the tests say. How often should people do these these tests? Good question. Unless something drastic happens to you, your disc style doesn't change. So Hmm. unless you've been in a near-death accident or a child has been born or some life event, studies Hmm. have shown, and this question has been asked before, that your core disc style actually doesn't change. Now, I have uh, taken the DISC assessment a couple times over my career, and it hasn't changed dramatically, but there's been little kind of, uh, you know, I I was a 90 in this one category, and now I'm a 75. Okay, so Mm. I've kind of adjusted a little bit, but the core of who I am doesn't change. One thing I would say here is in the DISC report that I do, there's uh, a section that outlines your natural disc style and your adaptive disc style. Yes. And so natural is you sitting on the couch watching Netflix. That's who you are. That's how you show up. And then your adapted might be uh, at work. So you go into work and, you know, everyone kind of plays a part in wherever they're at. And so you adapt your style to what you think is needed to make you successful in that environment. And it's interesting, as as I'm going through the DISC report, one thing I look for is, is there a big delta in between someone's natural and adapted style? Mm. So is there a big gap or is it is it pretty much the same? I've had people who are literally the exact same score across the board in um, home life, in work life, in their hobbies, in everything they do. They're just who they are um, wherever they go. I've had some people who swing dramatically from home to work. Uh, Again, not a good or bad thing, but that swing takes a lot of energy. So Mm -hmm. you're using a lot of emotional energy to uh, present yourself in a different way. And what I tell people there is that's not necessarily a bad thing, but you should ask yourself, is that necessary? Do I need to be doing that? Mm -hmm. Sometimes, maybe less so, uh, less often than you would think, they, they yes, they do. In order to operate in that environment, you just have to be um, more cutthroat than, than you naturally are. Right. And that's just the environment you have. And sometimes you're doing it because you think you need to do it. And so you're like, oh, well, I must be this way because I have to prove myself or a leader acts this way and I have to pretend like I'm that. And so you're flexing way outside your natural style. And it just takes so much energy when really you could kind of come in a little bit closer and be just fine. So that's a long answer to your question, but (laughs) that's, that's one of the many reasons I like DISC. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, doing a little research before our discussion, I looked it up and I haven't taken it in about 15 years and I haven't adapted it in a, a natural. And there's, there's a pretty big delta actually. I wonder if I should take it again. And I remember when we took it, we had all of our staff take it. And then we had some of our staff asking, hey, can my spouse take this as well? 
you know, just mm. to see how it can work personally. Um, because like you said, um, you know, just learning. I, there's another one that we use in our, in our, in the tech industry where there's like a lion, a camel, a turtle, and, <laughs> you know, and it's the same thing. It's just, you know, it's just, you know, animalizing it. And so, you know, they say, well, he's a, he's a turtle. Don't you dare tap his shell and you know, he'll come <laughs> out when he wants to, you know, that, that kind of thing. And, uh, um, again, it's just better ways. Like you said, everybody goes on the assumption that, you know, the world works like they do. Um, so your book, you wrote Hacking uh, an Executive Leadership. What's Swizzle? <laughs> Swizzle is a framework you can use to be resourceful. So uh, I'll give you a quick example. I was listening to a podcast, um, an interview with Floyd Mayweather. And Floyd Mayweather is a champion boxer. I know nothing about boxing. You don't want to see me box anyone because I will lose badly. But they were talking to him and they were trying to get him to say, like, what makes you the greatest? What makes you the champ? Is it your training? Is it your nutrition? You know, is it how quick your feet are? And he finally said, it's my adaptability. Yeah. It's how I can adapt to every opponent, every round, every punch. I can adapt better than my opponent. And that's why I win. And not being a boxer, my mind was still blown because I said, I can take that concept and apply it to my world, which is business. And am I adapting to the market? Am I adapting to the changes in the business? Am I adapting to uh, my team meeting on Monday, one week, and then my team meeting on Monday, the next week? And so I took that principle and I swizzled the relevant parts of it uh, where it could be helpful to me. And so I think a lot of leaders and a lot of people in general kind of silo themselves into thinking, here's this principle and rubric and rule for this. And then here's these other principles and rubrics and rules for this other area. And there's a lot of things that can be applied um, across different areas of your life. And it's just about being open to all the experiences and all the information that you're taking in and just being a really creative problem solver. And it's, and it's kind of fun when you look at the world that way. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So Meriwether, I'm not a boxing, you know, I, I watch a little bit of it, but he's known to be a defensive, he defensive fighter. He barely gets hit and he just dodges everything and he adapts. He adapts to the other fighters, process and skill set and just does not get hit and he outlasts them and he beats them and he's the, the greatest ever in, in that um the term swizzle itself did he coin that did he have that where did you come up with that? no that was actually something i blurted out i was to be honest i was stressed and tired one day and i was like just oh. just swizzle those powerpoint decks together and it was basically like take we had three powerpoint decks and i was like trying to make a new one and i was trying to say take the best and relevant pieces slides out of each one and make a new deck. And I just kind of blurted that out to my team because I couldn't think of a word. So I basically made one up. Um, but now, you. but now my team members say it back to me and they, uh, they use it at board meetings and it's, it's quite funny. I see. Isn't it like licorice candy? That's, well, that's Swizzler. That's right. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. This Swizzler. Yeah. Uh, failure. Twizzler, yeah. Oh, Twizzler. Something. Twizzler. Yeah. That's it. Twizzler. Yeah. Swizzler. What am I? An old uh, failure loop. Yes. Another framework which helps you um, navigate failure events, and I put those in quotes better. So it actually is a way for you to, to never fail again in the mm. traditional sense. So I have a graph in my book, but to explain it to listeners, there's a chain of loops going up and to the right. 
So a chain of individual loops up and to the right. And that's the direction you want to go. That's progress. Um, throughout life, you will have these quote unquote failure events. And in the individual loop, there is a spot where you go back down. You go back down into the left. And this is where you messed up. This is where you didn't do as well as you wanted to. This is where you're embarrassed because, you know, you've got to tell yourself and your friends and family that, that you messed up. And it feels crappy. And a lot of people stop there and they get really discouraged and really hard on themselves. I'm a failure. I failed. And that can, that can elicit a whole range of negative emotions. And if in that moment you know where you are in the process and you say, hey, I know where I am. It feels crappy, but I know where I am. I'm going to take the lessons and learning out of that event mm. and apply it going forward. You have just propelled yourself up to the next part of, of the loop and the overall chain of loops. So you've just propelled yourself out of, you know, mm. oh, I'm down in the dumps to your next phase of progress and your next level. And so if you think about it, if you do that over and over, you are, you're no longer failing. That's literally the definition of learning and improving and progressing. Right. And so a lot of people I work with are entrepreneurs and they've taken on a gut load of risk. They've put literally their money where their mouth is. They've made yeah. sacrifices with their family. And they, you know, high risk, and I understand it, but they get really hard on themselves uh, when something doesn't go the way they wanted. And I say, that is a mark of success. The fact that you've put yourself out there and you've even tried more times than, you know, the, the, the other guy. Uh, if you fail more times than the other guy will try, you're going to beat him or you're going to be successful. And so I love working with clients on this where, hey, taking that really negative energy and really negative emotion um, and acknowledging it and not trying to make it go away, but really understanding where that is in the process and how to make it a generative energy. So how to generate that into something positive. And I have uh, many people I've worked with almost look forward to that to that feeling now or look forward mm. to that event because they're like, ah, I'm at the edge. I'm at the edge of my growth zone and this is right where I want to be. Wow, that's exciting. I, I've always, you know, I've always kind of adopted the feeling of, you know, fail fast, you know, yes. and learn from it and, and, and keep going. And did you, did you learn that term, that expression and that cycle in a lot of failures? Certainly. I, I mean, I've failed plenty of times in the traditional sense in my life and in my career. Um, I've also been a lifelong learner and I've been pretty aggressive with, I want to improve every day. And that was just ingrained in me from, from my parents. So from childhood, but I've been, you know, reading and listening to podcasts and going to classes and going to seminars and, you know, trying to pick up common themes that I've heard over and over and also pairing that with uh, things that I've done that have worked for me and also things that I've talked to with colleagues and clients and just people out in the world that's worked for them. And, and that's a common theme, which is, you know, if you stop and sit down and cry and, you know, declare yourself a failure, that's one way to go about it. If instead you, you know, transform that process um, and, and say, hey, this sucks. Embrace the suck because it feels horrible. And then freaking do something about it. And freaking, mm. you know, do something about it. Um, 
you know, that that was a common theme that, you know, I've certainly had to do for myself. It's it's been something that's worked for others and seems to be a pretty, uh, a pretty common theme. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I remember what I started my business in the 90s and um, a tech firm, just a support firm and application development firm. And, you know, my friends would say, hey, must be nice not having a boss. And I said, every one of my clients is a boss. You know, <laughs> I, you know what I mean? I, I can't tell them bad things. Otherwise they'll stop paying us, you know? So, uh, and you learn that the hard way, right? You learn and, you know, you lose some clients, you get some other ones on, you fail, you learn that approach wasn't the best. Let's, let's look at another. Um, and it's, it's not what it, 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 it appears to be from the outside. Have you been following Elizabeth Holmes? Um, not in depth. Yeah. I've, I under, I know the big, the big, uh, hits there, but not in depth. There's a great podcast called the dropout, uh, which, you know, goes through everything there and just, uh, amazing what happened there. And you talk about failing in certain instances and how they turned it around and, and where they are, but, uh, fascinating. And, uh, I know you're in the Seattle area, I believe. Um, but I wonder if this doesn't change you know, Silicon's Valley, uh, just the way money gets kind of thrown around there. I, I guess we'll see. Uh, but a lot of these businesses fail. We only hear about, you know, Uber and, and, you know, these things that you mentioned, uh, but we don't hear about those as much, but, uh, failing is a, is a part of it. Uh, three circles. Yeah. Yeah. One, one comment I'll make on that last, last point real quick Please. is, there, there's a difference between failing and succeeding, and there's a difference between um, trying to put good into the world mm. and then trying to be intentionally deceitful. You know what I mean? There's, there's a big, uh, I think there's a lot to be said where people could have all the talent and skill set and drive and ambition and use it mm. for something destructive and, and sometimes intentionally use it for something destructive. And then you can have all those same elements and try to put it towards something that's positive. We're going to contribute to the people around you, society, et cetera. So just a quick note. I mean, I, it's, it probably is a basic concept, but I think it's worth repeating and reminding people to check in with themselves and the people around them and, and the people they're associating with. What is, what is my motivation? What are my uh, colleagues' motivations behind it? Very um, good. So let's just deepen that for, for one more second, if you don't mind. Do you work with salespeople? I do. I worked with I work with many sales teams across my across my different roles. So you can imagine the next question, right? I mean, sales just lends <laughs> itself to a certain amount of exaggeration. Yes. So how do I answer this in the most diplomatic way? I've I've met salespeople of every different stripe and color. I've met people who will, you know, lie and cheat and steal and scratch and claw and sell their own grandmother if it yeah. you know helps them hit their number. Um, and then on the very other end of the spectrum, and this is a rare case, this is a, a rainbow unicorn of a person, but I've met noble salespeople who literally are, are, they don't think of themselves as salespeople in the traditional sense. They're like, I am helping people. I go out and I help people every day. I have a product or a service that I can stand behind and I am good at communicating its value and no one else can do that like me. And I'm in awe of those people because mm. I'm, I'm not a salesperson um, in that sense, but they had quiet confidence. You know, they, they were very sure of themselves, but they 
didn't see themselves as like, hey, I'm a, you know, slick haired, you know, used car salesman salesperson. They were like, no, I am going out and I am serving people and I am finding people who need this solution. And I am really, really good at at that process and doing that. And so, you know, that's I can count on one hand throughout my entire career, those noble salesmen or so salespeople, but they do exist. And I love, mm. love, love working with them. And then there's a whole gamut uh, in between. Shouldn't their their bonus structure be, you know, set up in such a way that doesn't invite, you know, hitting those numbers so aggressively? I mean, they would say, uh, well, look, that's my job. I have to hit these numbers. Yes. So, so it's a leadership my... issue, isn't it? It exactly. It's a leadership issue. So if your leadership is focused on top line revenue and top line only then you're going to incentivize your sales team one way. Mm, mm. If you're talking about profitability and you know EBITDA and all of those things, you got to control retention and churn on the other side. So you can't just have your sales team filling the bucket when you've got holes coming out the, the bottom of it because there's mixed expectations or they're selling stuff we don't have or they're making stuff up on the fly. Um, so it just depends. It, uh, you know, My personal opinion is you should never... Um, intentionally missell somebody, but I suppose there are you know certain phases of a company um, where you really need that top line, um, and that's and that's a way to incentivize it. But uh, yes, my my answer is you should absolutely control and be thoughtful about uh, how you incentivize uh, salespeople. And and on the flip side, just to just to give a good word for for my friends who are in sales, they should be compensated well. If you have a good salesperson they are putting themselves on the line every day. Right. They are getting rejected every day. I was on an implementation team where basically we took the handoff from sales. And I remember like not thinking the <laughs> highest of that team. I dealt with some smarmy people. But one guy, um, he, he, he and I had good rapport and he got to talking. He said, Emily, like here's all the deals I go through and here's what I'm you know, having to do just to get this one across the line. And I just... I just remember that conversation because it hit me in such a way where it's like, oh, every one of these deals that I've seen, he's had to go through 25 to 50. He's had to get hung up on, you know, hundreds of times. And he's had to get no replies to his emails hundreds of times. And so, of course, he's going to care deeply about how I onboard that customer. And so when I understood that, and again, this person was a great person to work with, which helped, by the way, salespeople, mm. um, it really changed the dynamic of, of uh, our relationship as individuals and then our two teams' relationship because I ran that team um, eventually. So uh, just a, a quick word to not totally <laughs> um, beat on salespeople, but uh, to, to try to make a, a fair assessment on both ends there. Yeah, you know, I I I own the business, so I I'm in sales, right? Everybody, you know, and so, but I also help with onboarding, and you know, just naturally, you know, uh, onboarding thinks well, sales just sells in, throws it over the wall, and then we have to take it and bring it on. They promise mm -hmm. the sun and the earth, we can't deliver it, and you know that that goes to leadership, right? Because then you have you know the engineers, the onboarding versus the salespeople versus the marketing people versus ops versus you know and. Uh, they really need to get together and have those conversations like you had with this one gentleman to understand. Now, generally speaking, sales are motivated. We talk about motivation by money. So generally mm -hmm. they have smaller base, large commission. 
uh, you know, perhaps if they increased the base a little bit and that commission was shared amongst even the onboarding people, perhaps, you know, this is one way that leadership could, uh, you know, manage that and benefit the whole team. But certainly building up walls in the organization between these departments hurts everybody. Correct. Yes. And I think to, um, you know, our implementation team was was compensated and incentivized nice. on how quickly we could deploy things and how accurately mm. they were deployed. So that second piece, when someone threw something over the fence from sales that were like, we can't deploy this, like this doesn't exist, <laughs> it would it would hurt <laughs> us as well. So we, we were trying to work together. But certainly I've seen uh, uh, several different compensation plans for salespeople. Some work better than others. And sometimes it's a timing thing too, right? So if you pay someone two MRR or you know monthly mm -hmm. recurring revenue right up front, that can be a huge incentive versus um, breaking it up uh, over a percentage over 12 months. It just depends on on what you're trying to achieve and, and what types of personalities you have. Yeah. And, and, and balancing that all out is is really the key. And then of course, failing and failing quickly and going to the upper right and in the failure loop. Yes, I remember a quote. The same gentleman told me it. It was, um, I go, he said, Emily, I go get my yes in the land of no. And that mm. may be quoting someone else. I don't know. But I was like, oh, that's genius. And yeah. so like he's, I imagined a, a, a knight having to go into, you know, a thorny ba battlefield in the land of no and to go get his yes. And so I always, I always remembered that one. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get the benefit of seeing both sides, but you know, there's times where I gave the same presentation to, you know, it just goes up the ladder, you know, okay. We like it now presented them. Now they like it. Okay. You know, and you know, 20 presentations later, you know, it, it, yeah, it's, it's something it, it is really something. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, three circles. Yes. Yeah, so this one is um, a framework where you can, be intentional about the outcome you want and then figure out how to best get there. So mm. three circles, think of them in a math equation. So circle one plus circle two equals circle three. Circle one is an external event lands in your, in your lap. So um, it could be a team meeting uh, where you're leading a team meeting, your weekly team meeting, you have an agenda and, uh, you know, John starts to yell at people and, and pound the table and become mm. really upset. And you're like, oh my gosh, where is this coming from? In that moment, you can use three circles. You go quickly to all the way to circle three and you say, what do I want to have happen? What is my most favorable outcome? And that's circle three. And so it might be, I want to calm everyone down. I want to calm John down. I want to make sure we get back on track and hit the agenda um, and not cause too much of a distraction for our busy team. Then you can reverse engineer real quick to circle two. And this is where you determine what do I need to do? What do I need to do? What do I need to say? What do I need to not do? What do I need to not say? How do I need to show up? So it could be, you know, hey, John, I can tell that you're upset. Uh, I feel I see that you're frustrated. I would be too if I thought people weren't paying attention to this initiative. Uh, let me, you know, rest assured again. We're going to get to that. That's high priority. We're going to talk about budget allocation later in this meeting. So let's let's bring that up when we get to that. Something like that. So circle one plus circle two equals circle three. One big note here is what circle two calls of you 
might not be what you feel like doing. So what mm -hmm. you need to do in circle two might not be what you feel like doing. You might feel like yelling at John and telling him, you know, to shut up and sit down. Mm -hmm. um, but that's not going to get you your most favorable outcome. So that can, you know, three circles can be used uh, in a very quick scenario like that. It can also be used in something longer term. So, okay, I have um, a potential client that I'm looking to get and it's going to take six months. So, you know, circle one, this potential client comes into play. Circle three, I want to win them. It's going to be about six months. Circle two is then, okay, what do I need to do in the next six months to get the highest likelihood of closing this client in circle three? And so you could break that up by quarters. You could break it up by monthly milestones, even weekly. And then, you know, what do I have to do right now. And again, this can be anything. It can be tactical and practical things. Let's put together a presentation. Let's, you know, do dry runs. It's okay. How do I show up to my team? I want to convey the importance of this, um, but I don't want to freak anyone out and make anyone panic. I want to be hmm. excited and get them excited for it. So it can be used in a whole bunch of, of different ways, but I like that because it, um, I really like that because it makes you intentional about mm. what you want instead of just reacting to things emotionally. It's no, no, no. You have to determine and decide what you want out of that situation and then be a, be a little bit thoughtful about how you get there. Very good. When I was first started, sort of looking at that, I, I just assumed they were kind of Venn. They, they overlap. The three overlap. But they're distinctful. They're separated. So it's yes. an actual different yep. processes in each. Yes. It's a math equation. And um, a lot of people... Uh, that's actually a good point. A lot of people think that circle one and circle two are fused together. Mm. So they think they are overlapped in some case. Well, uh, if John has an angry outburst, of course I'm going to get angry back at him. Well, no, circle one and circle two are actually very distinct. They're next to each other, but you can decide to take a certain action in circle two. You can feel anger and frustration, yet you can act cool, calm, and collected. You have that choice. And another thing this framework does is reminds you of that. Okay, there's like distinct things that happen here. And I'm actually I'm actually in control of circle two, which which can be a very empowering thing instead of these things are all happening to me. Yes, these things are happening. It's it's life. External events are going to happen, but I have a hundred percent control of how I respond to them and what action I take. And so you own circle two. You're the, you're the sheriff of circle two mm. and get to decide that every single time. How important are our SOPs, our standard operating procedures? Depends what type of business you're in. So if you're really? in a startup business uh, with three people, they might slow you down, to be honest. Mm. I've been in a six-person startup and people were flying so fast and they worked so well together. We all just could almost read each other's thoughts. Wow. And so we would have to just shift back and forth and having like a checklist to go through. We didn't have a standard procedure. We didn't have like a standard process. So trying to make one and write that down might've been counterproductive at that stage. However, when you get to become a small to medium business and you get a lot of people on and you get a, re a repeatable customer base, then uh, SOPs can be helpful. So, uh, you know, if it's uh, if it's larger than, I'm trying to avoid putting a number on it, but if people just don't inherently know hmm. uh, what to do and how the other people is going to react and how everything flows together, um, you're going to need to start documenting things and writing things down. Yeah, and if their disk profile has, you know, consistency and some really high, they might like thrive <laughs> on it, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> yes, yes, for sure. I mean, disc profile. So it's funny, like the um, uh, inspirational folks put them out on the roadshow, get them out on the float, right. have them wave and wave the right. company flag and banner, and then have your C's, you know, conscientious, you know, not, nose deep in a spreadsheet because they'll love to kind of crunch the numbers and put together a process and and have it color coded and all of those things. So, uh, again, play to people's strengths and and know know where you are in the phase of the business and the and the phase of the team. Absolutely. Yeah. Well said. So on the podcast, we talk a lot about discipline. So, you know, I lost a bunch of weight and people ask me how I say discipline. I certainly use it in my business. How do you incorporate discipline, not only in your life, but in your coaching? Yeah. Um, so I, I read up on you as well and heard about your, your weight loss journey. Congratulations, by oh, the way. Um, it reminded me of, uh, an outline I've, I've seen by Dr. Mike Isretel. And Dr. Mike is into bodybuilding, into workout diet, uh, you know, workout programming. And he outlines uh, these, six, these six constructs of adherence. And discipline is, is one of them. But um, and if you're into bodybuilding and, and like this stuff, I would highly encourage you to check him out. I'm not affiliated with him in any way. But he kind of talks about inspiration being that initial spark that gets you, you know, to want to do something and that's good to get started, right? So you've got your Instagram pictures and, <clears throat> sorry, I'm going to sneeze one second. Um, and then motivation is the second one. If I, <laughs> if I, sneeze, I backed up like me. it was going to affect me for some reason. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> um, so inspiration is that, is that initial spark. Motivation is that inner desire to want to train. So it fuels adherence, but it's not a reliable support system. And then you've got the third one, which is intention. And that's, you know, the commitment to execute the plan. And it's not just a goal, it's how to get there. So, you know, I, I want to uh, increase my bench press by 10 pounds. So I'm going to train four times a week to do that. And then comes uh, discipline. So this is the execution of willpower. And basically it closes the gap between uh, motivation and intention on your low energy days. So when you mm. don't feel like doing something and then he's got some more um, out there, but that kind of gets you to discipline. And that's uh, just a construct that when I read about you, I was like, oh my goodness, that reminds me of what Dr. Mike said in terms of training, which I'm sure had some application to your, to your weight loss journey. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. It just occurred to me that the D in disc is discipline, correct? Uh, it's dominance. It's, dominance. Uh, dominance. Yeah. Dominance. You like to win. Yeah. If you, you mentioned you were, uh, you were, had a high score on D. So you like to win, you like short yes. and sweet. Um, and, and you like people to, to get to the point. I guess that's true. Uh, 87 adaptive and then 46 natural. Ooh. Yeah. So you swing quite a lot. Yeah. And, in, in yeah. And in dominance. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder, cause when you said that, I kind of leaned back. I, I am an athlete, so I like to, you know, win when I doing athletic things, but otherwise if I'm with family or with friends, I'm like, eh, not really, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the way I use it, uh, with my clients. So I was talking to a group of college students who are, who are coming out of college and they didn't know what they wanted to be when they grew up. And I said, that's perfectly fine. A lot of people don't. Um, and I said, have, have the motivation, have the discipline to invest in yourself. Hmm. So 
you know, where I use that is I mentioned I'm a lifelong learner. Learner. I would really encourage young people and anyone to invest in themselves and be disciplined about that. Be disciplined about uh, growing yourself, improving, learning more things, putting yourself out there to develop a skill where at first you're going to look silly doing it and you're not going to be the greatest at it at the beginning, but you're going to get better. I would be disciplined um, and point yourself towards those things because they will serve you so well. They will reap dividends for you and it will come back tenfold, if not more so uh, in those areas. So I would um, you know, encourage people overall to be disciplined in that way. And then if you want to talk kind of more practical, of course, I work with my coaching clients on staying you know, accountable to their goals and mm. checking in um, and, and doing different things like that, which um, I'm certainly not saying flippantly. I think when you're building a new habit and when you're building a new process, uh, having that person to check in with can be a huge benefit. And just even knowing, oh, Emily's going to ask me, she's going to ask me next Tuesday if I did that thing and I'm going to have to answer. So, okay, let me go. Let me go do the thing. Um, so it certainly comes into play there. And then my goal is to get clients to have uh, a new habit. So we build a new thought pattern. We plant a seed, a baby habit grows, you nurture it so it becomes strong. And then it'll eventually go to a passion where they can't stop doing it because they love it so much and it's just part of who they are and their identity. So they would have to go out of their way to not do something. So uh, transforming that initial kind of inspiration into motivation, into habit and a passion. Excellent. Now, when an employee, like if somebody wants to, they, they know that they're not good at a particular thing, but are, you know, they're not good at public speaking, but they're, uh, they're, they they're good at graphic design, but want to get better. Is it is it poor management or leadership to make them get better at the things they're not good at or things that they are good at? If you have a choice, double down on their strengths. Mm. So people are just if they're naturally inclined towards something, uh, double down there and try to cultivate that. Try to align it to the team's objectives and obviously the company's objectives. Now, if in the example you just gave the company or the team or the role requires them to speak publicly, and that's just part of what they have to do, then your job as a manager is mm. to help them become the best public speaker they can. And so that is where you would, you know, work on them, work with them in that area. Um, but it's, it's a good question. I would, I would say, um, for me, uh, just a personal example is I'm bad at math. And of course, everyone assumes I'm good at math because I'm Asian, um, but uh, I'm actually pretty bad at it. And so I get myself to the level of competence and working knowledge where uh, I don't have some huge deficit in an area where I where I need one. Um, but I'm not going to spend hours and hours and hours each week trying to get good at something that um, I don't I don't need to be good at. I have people I can rely on for that or, you know, in your example, other team members that you can rely on for something. Um, I'm at my best and I contribute at my highest when I'm coaching and when I'm creating content that adds value to people. Um, hopefully when I'm talking to people on podcasts and sharing something that's insightful or will help them, that's where I get energy from and that's where I think uh, I serve uh, best. And so that's where I'm going to put my time and energy. Yeah. That it follows to the next question. I mean, Emily Sander, what motivates you? <laughs> um, 
I, I went through an exercise with my client recently, uh, which got them to their big why. So it says, why do you do that? And then you ask, why do you do that? And then you ask, why do you do that? And you eventually get to their big why. So I'll share with you my big why. Please. I believe our purpose on this planet is to put good into the world hmm. and to will the good of another. And I believe that everyone has their unique talents and gifting and skill sets. And we talked about that before. What, what are you naturally inclined to do? And uh, I think that, you know, one of mine is coaching and one of mine is finding people uh, where, where they're at and meeting people where they're at and just unlocking their next level. So whatever that is for them, whatever that means to them, kind of, it's like opening a present to me. I love meeting a new client and saying, okay, what are you about? Let's unpack that. Where do you want to go? Great. And what is going to make that person get to the next level, which is different across the board. It's never, ever the same, which is so exciting. So um, that that's what motivates me. When I have an interaction with someone where it's like I had a meaningful impact in their life, I help them literally get a promotion or just um, something, you know, help them with their confidence and get to a new level of their confidence. And they tell me, Emily, I feel so much better going into that team meeting or going into that board meeting because I just know that I can, I can do it and I can rock it. That to me hmm. is, is beyond motivating. And I, if I do nothing else, but, but that for, you know, years and years and years to come, I will be a very, very happy person. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And what, uh, how do you measure success? Ooh, great question. I think, uh, you put good into the world and then, you know, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, you look back and you say, how big is my ripple? So, you know, you, you did a whole bunch of, of little things in these interactions, but you know, how big was, it was my ripple effect. And did I, you know, hopefully left it in a better spot and did more good than bad. Cause we all trip up sometimes, but yeah. Um, that's, that's the legacy, right? It's, you know, did you help people around you? Did you help the next generation? Did you leave something behind that was meaningful and impactful? Um, even if that's just with your cl close group of family and friends, it doesn't have to be, uh, you know, the Tony Robbins of the world, but did you leave a positive ripple effect? That's, that's going to put change for the better into the world. Wow, what a wonderful answer and a wonderful way to to close out this discussion. Thank you so much. So how can we get in touch with you? Thank you so much for your time today. This has been great. Uh, your website and uh, you have LinkedIn and any other ways. How can we get in touch with you? Sure. So uh, my website is nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. Um, I've got some free resources there. Um, you can join my newsletter and get you know tips and uh, tips and tricks and strategies and tools, some of which we've talked about today. And then, uh, as you kindly mentioned, Joe, uh, I did I did write a book called Hacking Executive Leadership, and that is on Amazon and Audible and Kindle. So if you're interested in that, uh, feel free to pick that one up as well. Very cool. I didn't even know dot coach was an extension now for, for, uh, neither did I, but everything else was taken with dot com. So I was like, I'm going yeah. with this. I'm going to make this up myself. I have a friend who owns a pizza restaurant and they're like Eastside pizza dot pizza. I guess there's a dot pizza yep, now as well. Go. Yeah. Yeah. It's extended. <laughs> Emily Sander, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, uh, I have friends in the Seattle area from there, but perhaps we'll all get together and have a cup of coffee. 
Absolutely. Love it. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much. You be well. Have a great day. Thank you for listening and or viewing Joey Pinn's Discipline Conversations. Please share this episode with one or two of your friends who you think may benefit from the episode. Our website, www.joeypins.com. There you find lots of resources and you could join our mailing list. Please follow us on all our social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Podcast information, the video version of our podcast is on YouTube. Please subscribe. Audio is on all major podcasting platforms. Please follow them. And if you like it, please consider giving five-star rating. Would really appreciate that. Would you like to financially support the podcast? You can go to our Patreon site. Consider five, ten, or twenty dollars a month. There's all kind of plans that we have there. There's like a one-time payment. What is this podcast episode worth to you? Twenty-five dollars, fifty dollars, hundred dollars, five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, five thousand dollars. You be the judge. You can go to our PayPal account to do that as well. Thank you again for listening or watching. Joey Pins Discipline Conversation.